can depend on our Redeemer. We can depend upon our Redeemer. Let's just say that together. We can depend upon our Redeemer. And let me just say, if I, if I said that, and we said that, and we all just were in complete unity and agreement on that, we could probably just walk out of this place just fine today without having to hear anything else. If we can walk out with the realization that we can depend on Jesus Christ, who is our Redeemer. Now, when I say that, yes, I am talking about the fact that He has redeemed us from sin. I am talking about that, that we are able to spend eternity with Him forever because He has accomplished that. We don't have to question that, but I'm also talking about the fact that every day, every moment, Every situation, every snare, every trial, every trying situation, any and everything that comes our way, anything that we can imagine, during those times, we can depend upon our Redeemer. You know, there's a lot of people that, um, that can really easily, and I, and I even actually quite often uh, confess, slip into the mindset that, well... Sure, I'm glad I'm going to be going to heaven because it's hell on earth. And it's very easy for us to slip into those mindsets because there's difficulties that come with this life that we live while we're on this earth. There's difficulties that come. There's constant discouraging things around us. We can easily get discouraged all the time. And when that happens, it can cause weariness in the believer. I'm probably not the only one in this room that has, at some point has just felt a weariness deep in our soul. It's like we don't even, we, maybe we, that's not even how we describe it. We can't put our finger on it, but my soul is just weary. Let me tell you, it, it, it doesn't have to happen. We don't have to grow weary in doing good. We don't have to carry burdens that we don't need to carry because we have a Redeemer who can shoulder any and everything Now, I'm not saying that the situations, the trials, the snares, the difficult things that come will go away. That's life. But the way that we handle it, our dependency upon the Redeemer, the fact that He can handle it, it's something that we have to uh, sow deep in our spirit. In fact, I want you to turn to John chapter 16. I'm going to start with this scripture. John chapter 16. This is just a promise of the Lord himself. This very thought. And we'll go to verse 33. And of course, he's saying all kinds of stuff. He's, um, the heading over this section uh, from my, in my Bible says, prayer promises. I love that. Prayer promises. Things that Jesus is saying and praying and he promises to us. And in verse 33, he says this. These things I have spoken to you so that in me, in the Redeemer, you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. In the world. Now, here's the thing. Um, It doesn't say, in the world, you might. I know some versions, like if you have a King uh, King James, it'll say, "In, in this world, you will have or you shall have trials. I love this version because it just points it right out there. In the world, you have tribulation. You know, it's not like it might happen. Listen, if things get rough. 
No, it's like, that's just a given. Jesus is saying, it's going to happen. There's going to be trouble. Some of your versions may say, in this world, you will have trouble or you shall experience trouble. But he says, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And I was reading this and thinking about uh, the Redeemer. And, and actually, the whole series, The Redeemer, has uh, stemmed from this, this uh message today, what I want to encourage everyone with today, the whole series. So I've been kind of looking forward to, to, this, um, to this morning. We've been talking an awful lot about Passover, the Passover Seder, which is uh, otherwise maybe known as the last supper meal that Jesus had with his disciples. We've been linking the four cups that they share throughout the course of that meal with Exodus chapter 6, the first four I wills that he lays out there. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you to myself as a people. And that those, those four I wills are the cups. They're pointing back. They go back and forth. The Old Testament and the New Testament joining Jesus, using his culture to communicate the eternal truths. But when you look at Exodus 6, this is what he is accomplishing for Israel. He is bringing peace to a people who haven't experienced peace in a long time. In Scripture, uh, Egypt is a type or a shadow or a picture of the world, just as Moses is a type or a picture of Christ. Moses came to deliver Israel, God's people, out of this worldly, pagan, idol-worshiping system into a promised land. Well, that's what Jesus did. He came to the world for his people to redeem them out, to deliver them out of that worldly, ungodly, adulterous, uh, pagan, idol-worshiping world and to offer them eternal life, a promised land forever and ever and ever. So it's a, it's a picture. It's a type. He says, I will bring you out. I will set you apart. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. And then the fourth cup and the fourth I will, and we focused quite a bit on it last week, was I will take you to myself as a people. And I mentioned that that word take in the Hebrew is the word that means marry. That's the word that they use all the time to marry. I will marry you to myself, which makes sense. Jesus calls us the bride of Christ. He is returning for a pure and spotless bride. Amen. I will take you. I will marry you to myself as a people. And I mentioned this briefly two weeks ago, or maybe it was no, two weeks ago, that word people. And how it basically means family, but the translation is kinsmen. Everybody say kinsmen. kinsmen. How many of you have ever heard that word or read that word in Scripture? Good. Kinsmen. It's the word kinsmen. Now let me just say that in Scripture, when you look uh, somewhere where it says redeemer, what you're going to find is it's the Hebrew word ga'al, G-A-A-L. Ga'al. And it literally means to act as kinsman redeemer. And there's no separation. It's, it's like kinsman redeemer. Ga'ot, redeemer. The people of Israel, the Hebrew people would have immediately said, they wouldn't have just said redeemer. It would have been ga'ot, kinsman redeemer. Because there's other words for redeem. And there's actually other words for kinsman. We'll look at that in a second. But when this word is used, it's inseparable. Kinsman redeemer. So everybody say that one. Kinsman redeemer. One more time. Yeah. Kinsman Redeemer. Now, what is a kinsman redeemer? A kinsman redeemer is a male relative, 
gots to be a boy. Of course, it's the Hebrew culture. According to at least ancient Jewish law, uh, a, a male relative, remember I said to myself as a people, so it's talking about family, kinsmen, a male relative had the privilege and or the responsibility, depending upon how they looked at this, the scenario, to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, who was in danger, who was in need. So a kinsman redeemer is someone that could act on the behalf of a relative who had some rough stuff going. If, if this happens, call upon your kinsman redeemer. If this happens, this happens, this happens, and this happens, you can depend upon your kinsman redeemer to help you out of that trouble when you are in need. The Hebrew term ga'al for kinsman is designated for the one. It's designated. Remember what I said? This is the word that they use for those scenarios, for one who delivers or rescues. You can see it in, in Genesis 48. Um, it's literally what's going on here in Exodus 6 that we've been going through. We can also talk about redeeming property or literally a person. If someone is going through financial situations and they can't deal with their property, a kinsman redeemer could come over here and say, I'm the closest relative, male relative. I am obligated and it's my responsibility and I feel it's a privilege to help my brother out. Help a brother. Okay. Sorry. You know what I mean? Also, if, and there's all kinds of scenarios. I, just, I thought I would bring this. Sometimes when people would get into financial trouble, here's what they would do. I'm in financial trouble. I'm, I can't deal with what's around me for whatever reason. I'm going to sell myself into slavery. By selling myself into slavery, I am now uh, outside of this. So now, yeah, all the debt's gone. That's no longer there. But now they're in a different kind of debt, right? I'm indebted to another person. I am a slave. That's when a kinsman redeemer could come in and say, uh, I know that he sold you this, that, and the other. He's a slave to you now, and all his debts are resolved. But I'm telling you, I'm about to buy back my brother. That's just part of the, part of the opportunity that a kinsman redeemer has. You guys tracking with me? And one of the best places that you can see in Scripture um, exemplify the kinsman redeemer is in the book of Ruth. Let's turn to the book of Ruth. Everybody turn to the book of Ruth. In a lot of ways, Ruth is a, is a kind of a classic short story. If you've never read the book of Ruth, you need to read the book of Ruth. It's wonderful. It's like a short story. In fact, the, the book of Ruth has been called the most uh, beautiful short story that's ever been written. So turn there to the book of Ruth. The setting of this story is in the time of the judges. How many of you guys have the book of Judges in your Bible? Raise your hand. If you don't, I encourage you to buy a new one. Okay? The story, the timeline is in the time of the judges. In other words, when judges ruled. Specifically, this story, specifically in the time between where um, Joshua, you guys remember Joshua, Moses, Joshua, oh, the giants, but we can take them, Joshua, in between the time when Joshua um, basically had his conquest over uh, Palestine, it was in between that time and the time where um, Israel decided to make Saul the first king. They didn't have kings. They had judges. But they decided they wanted to be like all the other nations. Let's have a king. Let's get a king. God's like, I'm your king. 
and I've presented you with judges. To help. But we want a king like they got a king. All right, I'll give you a king. You're not going to like it. Here's what's going to happen. Bad, 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 bad. But if you want them, yes, we want them. So they made Saul the first king. Have you noticed I'm very dramatic this morning? <laughs> I haven't even had any coffee. Okay. Anyway, so it's the time when the judges ruled. Um, now listen, the time that this is written, and I'm only bringing this out because I think it's important for the way that I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to encourage you this morning. During the time that this is written, in between that period of time where the judges ruled, yes, they were ruling, but it was also a very, it was just a a time of chaos, politically and moral-wise. There wasn't a strong central government. I mean, there was a government, but it was a strong, just central government. And the people during this time were continually turning away from God, left and right. The Israelites, the Jewish people were turning, they were, they were having that adulterous heart. I'm turning away from God and they're looking to other things constantly. And the surrounding nations were constantly harassing and invading uh, really this disorganized nation of Israel at the time. So this is the time that this book is written. It sounds a lot like the times that we live in, doesn't it? And we're not going to go into all that, but it sounds very much like the time that we lent, full of potential difficulties. We live in a day where there is full, for the believer especially, for the world, but for the believer, it's full of potential difficulties, trials, troubles, things that are hard for the believer. Here's the cool thing. Our kinsman is standing ready to help. Let's look at the story of Ruth. Um, we really don't have time to read the whole thing. It's, it's not that long. I guess I could read it, but I, I don't think we will. Um, maybe I'll read the first five verses. Now, it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his son. So right here, just... Or you can already see there's trouble coming. This family is from Bethlehem. There's a major famine in the land. So it says that they sojourn, sojourn to Moab. So, uh, I love this because to sojourn means to go there for a little while. Just I'm, I'm going there, but I'm, I'm not going to be there forever. Okay? Let me just encourage you with this. Your, your stuff, it's not going to be forever. If you're going through stuff, it's not going to last forever. Okay? Though sorrow comes, uh, lasts for the night, joy comes in the morning. You know, this too shall pass. There's a ton of scriptures that says this ain't going to last forever. Okay? You're just sojourning in this. You're only going to be in it in a little while. Let's keep going. Uh, verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Milon and Kilion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered into the land of Moab and remained there. So they're there. The family got over there. Uh, I guess they were assuming and it probably was a more prosperous place and time, more to eat, more to drink, whatever. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. So the sons of Elimelech and Naomi got some wives that were from Moab. Then both Milan and Kilion also died. Now get this real, real quick. And the woman was bereft. In other words, Naomi, the mom. I love one of the meanings for this word in Hebrew is survivor. 
So at this point, she's just a survivor. Let me say again, some of you at this point in your life, you are just feeling like you are simply surviving. I'm just surviving, man. I'm just trying to get through the time, just trying to pass. Listen, we have a kinsman redeemer. We'll talk more about that. So you can see, um, I'm going to stop right there and just kind of paraphrase the rest of it. So what happened is Naomi's husband dies. Her two sons who had got a couple of wives. Did we read that part yet? Yeah, we did. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah. Be careful how you spell it because it would turn out Oprah. And the name of the other was Ruth. Now, Ruth was a very, is a very common name. My mom's middle name is Ruth. Patsy Ruth Bell. You know? You don't hear Orpah a lot. So Ruth and Orpah were the, uh, were the wives of Melon and Kilion, but they died. And what happens in this story is that Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem. And she tells her daughters-in-laws, she says, why don't you guys just go back to your family? You know, my husband's dead. Your husbands are dead. Just go back to your families. Start over. Live a life. And the, both of the girls were like, no, no, we'll stay with you. We'll stay with you. And she's like, what am I supposed to produce you another son? I'm old. I'm not going to be able to do this. And Orba was like, dang, that's true. And so she jets. You know, she's out. She's done. But Ruth said, you know what? Listen to what she says in, in, verse, uh, in verse 15. It says, Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. This is Naomi talking. And her gods. <laughs> your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. I love that because that phraseology, the stuff that she's saying is linked directly to the Exodus 6 verse 7 stuff. I will take you to myself as a people. And it goes on to say, and I will be your God. Ruth's into it. She's into God. She's like, you know what? God's my people aren't very alive, but yours seems to be alive. I think I'll take your God. Orpah went back to her people and her God. She said, I'm taking the God of the Hebrews. She loved that. And so they go back and they're there. And of course, they're, you know, they don't have anything. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And um, she takes the initiative to provide food for herself and some for Naomi as well. And she goes out to glean a field. I wish I could go into all that means, but basically she's, by Jewish law, they're able to glean from a field. Rich people had to, by law, leave a little bit of their field for poor people, hungry people to glean from, to come after and take the leftovers. So she goes and she gleans the field, just I guess the first one she finds. And she comes home, she got all this grain, this food, and Naomi's like, what field did you glean from? Well, it was this guy named Boaz. And she's like, Boaz, are you serious? Look what it says. It says, the name of the man whom I worked today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. So right there, she recognizes Boaz. And and we'll read this in a second. But Boaz just happens to be the kinsman redeemer for both Naomi and for for Ruth. And Naomi's like, oh my goodness, do you see what's going on here? Look what she says. Again, Naomi said to her, this man is our relative. Now this is a different word. 
This is a word that just means kin. This man's our family. But then she goes on to say, he is one of our closest relatives. How many of your versions say closest relatives? In Hebrew, that's the word ga'al, which means kinsman, redeemer. So right there, she says, this is, this is a very good thing. In fact, I love what she says. The Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness. This is, needs to be encouraging to us. Because sometimes when we're going through stuff, maybe our husbands didn't die. Maybe we're not having to go glean, like, glean a field like a poor man or anything like that. But difficult stuff comes. And in our mind, if we don't understand that Jesus Christ has not only redeemed us from our sin, but walks continually with us as the Redeemer, then you might get so discouraged that you literally think that he has withdrawn his kindness. Let me tell you something. Like Marvin said this morning while he was praying, he hasn't withdrawn his kindness. His desire is to lead us back to himself. And it is with his kindness that he leads us back, that he draws us, that he leads us to repentance. His kindness is going forth to you, to me, to Naomi, and to Ruth. The Lord has not withdrawn his kindness. This man is our relative. Not only that, he is our closest relative. He is the Redeemer. And so, if you look in there, keep reading, you see that, that Naomi says, you need to stick close to him, and so she does. And later on, Naomi says, you know what? I want you to do this. And what she asked Ruth to do was a gesture for specifically to a, a kinsman redeemer. Would you be my kinsman redeemer? Would you kinsman redeem me? You know, however that works. And Boaz says, absolutely. And he thanked her. Thank you for not going to all these young bucks. Thank you for that you would come to me because I'm old. Basically, you know. And then he realized, moving on through the story, you realize that, oh, shoot. There's actually a kinsman redeemer that is closer in relation to you than I am. And so Boaz goes to the other kinsman redeemer, the one that was closest. You guys know what I mean? You got your first cousin, your second cousin. In Texas, your first cousin could be your second cousin, could be your uncle. No, I'm kidding. That's Arkansas. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry, I'm kidding. So Boaz goes to the um, kinsman redeemer that's actually the closest. And he says, hey, listen, here's the situation with Naomi and her family. Would you want to fulfill that responsibility, that commitment? And the guy's like, sure, sounds good. Because it's a privilege in that culture to be able to be someone's kinsman redeemer. Boaz was like, um, hey, now listen, if you do this, you also got to marry uh, Mylon's son. I mean, daughter. <laughs> See, what state is that? <laughs> you got to marry Ruth. And the other kinsman redeemer was like, uh, I'm not really into that. So he basically gave Boaz permission become the kinsman redeemer. And the Boaz comes before the, the elders and he says, here's the situation. I'm going, to, um, I'm going to redeem the situation. I'm going to marry Ruth. They gave him a wonderful blessing. May you be as blessed as Rachel. And it says all this stuff. And they get married. And it's awesome. 
And I just look at the journey of this. And again, I'm paraphrasing, and there's a lot more details, and it's wonderful. But I look at someone who started out with a famine and had to move. Moving's never fun. Have any of you ever moved? It's not fun. Some of you are in the process of moving and stuff and thinking about right now, and you're like, oh, I don't want to move. It's never fun. They literally had to go to another land. Difficulty. And Naomi loses her husband. Difficulty. Then she loses her two sons. Ruth loses her husband. Difficulty. And the Ruth, Ruth is out there gleaning the land, probably wondering how I've got to do this every day for the rest of my life just to eat. I've got to go to the four corners of the field just to eat. Difficulty, trials, hard circumstances. But the Lord has not withdrawn his kindness. Look, you just happen to stumble into the field. that is owned by a kinsman redeemer. And I just look at that, you guys, and I'm thinking about just the different people that I know, some, some that are involved here at Soma, uh, Soma, some that are involved elsewhere, that are just struggling. Trial after trial, feels like they can't get their head above water. Let me just tell you something. The Lord has not withdrawn his kindness. In the perfect time and in the perfect place, he is going to re- reveal his plan for kinsmen redeeming you. And you're going to be like, wow. And it's going to be beautiful. And it's going to be more than you could have expected. You know, it goes on to say in uh, chapter four, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her, which means that they were together. And the Lord enabled her to conceive. So Ruth now has a baby. Whoa, not only am I redeemed here and all this, Now I'm with child by an old guy. (laughs) It says, and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And so she goes to Naomi and said, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. May his name be famous in Israel. So on the other side of this, which started out bad news for Naomi, ended up being good news for Naomi. Because now she has, through this trying situation, the way God provided, not just for Ruth, but also for Naomi. Now Naomi, I guess it'll have to be several years before this kinsman redeemer could do something for her. But now she has the closest of kin in this son. Amen? You guys see that? I encourage you to read the story because it's very, very good. And here's what I want to say. A couple of scriptures. The reason I, the, what I see in this and, and the reason I want to bring this up in this series is a lot of the talk about redemption of the Lord is centered around, and rightly so, is centered around um, him being able to provide a way for us to go to heaven. And that is wonderful. And he has defeated sin and death and all those things. But it's a long time, hopefully, before I get to go to heaven. So I have a lifetime of some kind of living. What kind of living? Jesus and John promised that it can be peaceful living. And I just thought about these two scriptures. In fact, one of them is when God was speaking to, uh, to Joshua back in, in the book of Joshua 1 verse 5. And it says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. 
And then he says, I will not fail you or forsake you. And then the writer of Hebrews echoes that. I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Not only is Jesus Christ the redeemer of our sins, he's also our kinsman redeemer. Yeah, I just, I just, listen, there was four requirements in that culture for, for a um, person to be able to function as a kinsman redeemer. One, they had to be a kinsman. They literally had to be kin. And they had to be the closest of kin. If you read Hebrews chapter 2 and Hebrews 4, and I write that down, go read it. It paints a picture of how close we are to Jesus, how he has uh, become uh, kin for us. He is close to us. He is our closest relative. So he meets requirement number one, Jesus Christ. Requirement number two in that culture was that a man must be free himself. He had to be free. In other words, I can't redeem you. I got my own issues. I got my own problems. Jesus didn't have any problems. Amen? Especially as it relates to sin. He was free from sin. We know that Hebrews 4 talks about that. Requirement number two is met. Number three, he must, be willing, uh, he must be able to pay the price. And we say this all the time around here. There was no other blood that could be shed that is sufficient for the removal of sin except for the blood of Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Amen? So he meets that requirement. Acts 20 talks about that. How he bought us with his blood. His blood is sufficient to bring us near, to reconcile, to buy, to redeem. And the fourth one was he must be willing to pay the price. And I think this is where we get hung up as believers. He is willing. My Bible says that, the, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the cross. He did what he needed to do. And he is willing every day in every circumstance that you're going through to act as kinsman redeemer. Hebrews 12 talks about that joy that was set before him. It is his joy to touch, to reach into your situation. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are some in this room that are literally at their wit's end with their life. They're literally at the end of the rope And however else you can say that. And it could be relationally. It could be financially. It could be be health. All kinds. It could be marriage. Any circumstances. But I know. And this last one, this last requirement of a kinsman redeemer, I, I, I urge you to receive that he is willing Please don't write this off as another Easter message. Well, this doesn't even sound like an Easter message, really. But don't write this off as, an, oh, another preacher said another thing. I am communicating what God has said. I will bring you out. I will. Why? Because I'm willing. <laughs> I will deliver you. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And I will take you to myself as a people. I will become your kinsman, and I will be the closest one to you and always willing and able 
to meet you where you're at. Every difficulty, every trial, every need. In fact, Scripture says that he knows our needs before we even ask him. That's a good kinsman redeemer. I'll be there. I know what you need. And I will be your kinsman redeemer. Matthew 6, verse 8. I I know what you need before you even ask. He's able to do not only what we need him to do, but far beyond that. Far more. He's able to do way more than we could even ask or imagine him to do. You're in this situation. You just want to, you just want to, if I could just get a breath and go back out. No, are you kidding? He wants to yank you out of that pool and put your feet on a firm rock to where you're not huffing and puffing in the deep anymore. Ephesians 3. And again, he delights. Scripture says this this is in the Psalms. He delights in the prosperity. When I say prosperity, I mean the welfare and I mean the peace of those who follow him. Please receive that this morning. He delights. Psalm 35, verse 27. He delights in the peace, the welfare, the prosperity of his people. Amen. Let's stand.